Welcome everyone to another episode of Picking at Perfection. Thank you so much for joining me on the show where we break down society's perfect expectations and try to go for more purpose and happiness away from what society expects of us. Today, I'm so pleased to welcome Dario Cucci, holistic business coach, speaker, and author. Welcome to the show, Dario. Well, thank you for that lovely introduction. I am pleased to be here. So, um, yeah, so uh, in regards to myself, you know, I uh, grew up in Switzerland and at the age of about 25, I decided I wanted to go to Australia after a brief, uh, you know, stay in Australia to learn the language itself. I um, I ultimately went back to Switzerland um, after six months to get my visa um, organized because my mom is from New Zealand. So I, I had a citizenship visa, um, citizenship that allowed me to go back to Australia and then live there permanently. And I ended up being in Australia for about 15 years in total. And during my 15 years, I uh, ended up working in the self-development industry for you know the first four to five years i was a personal trainer and after about five years i decided it wasn't for me anymore because i felt it was too superficial and i ended up um, getting myself educated i in the self-development industry got my certification in nlp hypnosis timeline therapy and many other things along the way over the years and um one thing that I discovered was that ultimately every action that we have comes from within. So even the decisions that we don't like that cause us to do things that ultimately have consequences, um, it comes from the mindset. So the action or the, the behavior comes always from the mindset, from the subconscious mind's belief to down to the mindset of the um, egoistical, egoistical beliefs and um, you know what it, whatever it is it's ultimately a thing combined but the subconscious mind is the strongest so therefore I ended up uh, after I got all my qualifications starting out with an uh, agency that promoted Tony Robbins and it was completely new to me to sell over the phone really and as a result, in the first two weeks, I struggled because you don't see the person's reaction. You cannot adjust to it and then, you know, handle the objection according to what you see because all you hear is the voice over the phone. And so as a result, I ended up struggling and I almost quit the job after two weeks. I actually got up in the morning one day and said to myself, either I'm going to make a sale today because it was commission-based only Mm. Or, or I'm going to do some kind of lousy job in customer service or whatever. And so I ended up on that day going with confidence into the office, picking up the phone, following up on a conversation I had with one person that was interested in Native Destiny training. And uh, I ended up after, you know, going, you know, putting the customer, uh, potential customer on hold a few times, going back to my team leader um, asking her questions that I wasn't sure the answers of. And then I went back to it and I said, so yes, you can reschedule if you cannot make the next one. And I said to her, so are you now ready to ultimately um, confirm your ticket to attend Date with Destiny for $6,000? 
And she said yes, and she gave her credit card, and that was my breakthrough in making the first sale over the phone that was at a very high ticket price kind of thing, you know. And um, that was my first commission that I made. With that, I ended up paying my bills, my upcoming rent that I didn't know how to pay. And that's how it all started. Uh, fast forward about 10 years. And ultimately, uh, during those 10 years, I worked with uh, three different self-development events and educational companies. And I went up the ladder from just being a salesperson to becoming a trainer and acquisition sales coach. And so, you know, one of the companies that I ended up working with was 21st Century Education. And ultimately, when they brought me back as an acquisition and sales coach and trainer, um, I ended up, you know, changing their script and how they approach it. And within two weeks, literally from, you know, making one appointment to set the acquisition team a day, on average, they made four to five appointments within two weeks of change. So, and um, I was very successful. And from the outside in, you you thought, well, you got it all. You're making good money from what it is that you do. You got, um, you got regular income. Now you're not on commission-based uh, salary only. You have both. You got a salary plus commission and you do everything right. So, but I wasn't happy, you know. I wasn't like you know, fulfilled because I felt something was missing. I just couldn't put my finger on it. And as a result, I ended up compromising my health, not eating well, not sleeping enough, not um, not doing the things that made me happy. I was just working all the time. And one day during lunch, um, I, I felt like my face was changing. I had sort of like a cramp in my face and I, I thought, what's happening? Do I have a stroke or something? And uh, and I ended up being in the Melbourne hospital. Um, after I spoke to my um, manager, they called an ambulance. I went to the Melbourne hospital. And those three hours were the longest hours of my freaking life uh, because I was in the unknown. I didn't know what, what do I have? What is it? And I mean, the biggest, the big, one of the biggest concerns that I had and fears was what if I don't see my family anymore? Because I was in Australia all by myself. I didn't have family over there. So as a result, I ended up, you know, worrying about that. But the other thing that came up to me uh, in my mind was, did I really live my life with purpose? Like, did I really do what I was meant to do on this planet? And the answer was no. And so when I asked my subconscious mind, what is my purpose? And I mean, what I'm explaining here, you you can imagine it, it, it shows you in split seconds. So mm. um, already me saying one word is literally not as long as, um, as it is within your subconscious mind when it shows you. It's like a light switch that went off. You can imagine like that when electricity goes through, it goes through in such a speed we cannot even, um, you know, imagine it. Mm -hmm. So within a short period, literally, I saw myself on stage, bringing out books, inspiring people with what I share with them, making a difference, people coming up to me, thanking me for what I shared with them. And it wasn't Tony Robbins. It wasn't. Jamie McIntyre or somebody else. It was me, actually. And 
that's when I realized all my life until this this point, I put myself always on, on the back burner and everybody else in front of it. And when I was meant to be actually a leader, I was a follower. And that's the thing when I decided that's not worth risking my health over. Mm. And so long story short, the doctor came back and said, you got Bell's palsy. So it wasn't a stroke. Now Bell's palsy might sound sweet, but it's not a snack. Um, instead, it's actually the, the cells within like the, the nerves within your face that you take so for granted to smile and move your mouth um, are um, inflamed. And as a result, they don't um, try, you know, they don't actually give the impulse for your muscles to move anymore. So they're paralyzed. And the doctors don't know um, what to do except bring down information and telling you you have to wait and see. And uh, on the other hand, the alternative sides like hypnosis, acupuncture is very helpful. So ultimately, I ended up deciding to heal myself. I went back to Switzerland after half a year and I started all over again. And after two years, after two years, I started my own business to help entrepreneurs and business owners prevent things from happening like that, prevent them from making themselves sick by putting themselves last or by them not really following their purpose, not really being able to do that because they don't have that clarity, they don't have that support in that way. And also to be able to serve their customers better because our um, entire way of thinking and the way that we serve customer is completely wrong. It's just um, a, a something that it frustrates me immensely seeing what's happening in this world. Um, the marketing can be great, you know, you make upfront sales, but the back end is so not customer support is done that most businesses make mistakes along the way, even like big ones, big, big companies, but the small companies make the even bigger mistake thinking that they can afford to follow the footsteps of what the big companies do. And the problem with that is that when you are selling let's say you sell a high-end product and coaching product or personal training or therapist or some kind of service product. And the first time you sell it, you can literally say about 30 to 50% of um, what you get from that customer goes towards the cost of advertising, time, following up the prospects, doing the campaigns and so on. It's after the second and third time they purchase from you that you make a bigger profit from it. So therefore, what would be like common sense if people had any <laughs> would be that you would look after the customer even better as soon as they start with you and make them your literal fan. That you literally get them to a place where they cannot even imagine not having your service in their lives anymore. Yet we are not living in a normal world. So what happens is we spend uh, the companies, even no matter how big or small they are, as crazy as they are. And I'm, I'm calling it that because I want people that listen to this podcast wake up to themselves. So think about this. How am I meant much money per month? Let's just go with uh, a number. Maybe you spend a month um, 
5,000 pounds per on advertising cost, maybe less, who, who knows? But let's just go with the $5,000 number or pound. That's about 60,000 pounds that you said that you were spending years just on advertising and marketing cost. Now you're selling maybe a high-end program and say it's 5,000 pounds as well. So the first new customer that you get um, you literally can write off because you have that kind of cost in the first place. Then you get the second customer. Now you have to write off at least say 30% of that just to, you know, to say that's sort of like ongoing cost. And now what happens is you have this customer on the back end after two, three months after the program is finished, there is no customer care system in place. There's no follow-up. There's no relationship being there and so what happens is after half a year or one year maybe you have a new program coming up now you call the customer and the customer will go well thank you so much for thinking of me but actually i already have this or i changed or i went to somebody else or not interested so now you need to replace that lost customer with a new customer and this is the crazy cycle of spending that's happening today Whereas if you were to, after they started the program, check in once a month, just do a five minute phone call, check in how they're doing, what is it that they're doing and so on. And just nurture them throughout the months that they are, you know, that are coming, even if they're not on the program anymore, you would not have that. Instead, what will happen is you will have a better relationship with them. They will become a fan. They will go, you know what? Even when I wasn't looking for something, you actually were there for me. And you pointed out things that I didn't even know I needed. And so that's why I purchased again. And on top of that, you understand where myself. So as a result, I actually got this other person that could use your help just as much. And what do you get? You get warm referrals, direct referrals because of it. And this is why why I'm so passionate because I know with what I do, that's a limitation that's happening within the world, that we need to spend a lot of money getting new customers, and then the customer service is secondary. Whereas my belief is customer service is a priority in order to make more sales. And so that's what I'm ultimately doing these days. I help entrepreneurs, business owners, individuals to ultimately change their beliefs around selling customer service and their own belief about themselves so that they can also be a better leader for their team, but also a better communicator to serve their customers and ultimately find a way to balance their lives so they don't need to sacrifice themselves. So they have a balanced lifestyle, successful life in business and private, and they are actually inspiring with their actions by what they do instead of um, just following the norm of crazy marketing spending and then not looking after their customer and wondering why they keep having to, you know, deal with complaints and people leaving and that sort of thing. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that insight. Um, first of all, let me say how incredible to turn kind of that adverse situation of, of when your health deteriorated into something positive. 
And I think, um, you know, the phrase comes to mind that when your life flashes before your eyes, I think sometimes that is a stereotype of a cliche, but I think it is real. And I think that's kind of similar to, to how you sort of envisioned your future when you were assessing whether you were happy and looking back, whether you felt fulfilled. So, so profound. And thank you for sharing that. With your strategy of saying that it's best to kind of nurture people, um, and this conversation is very timely because I'm kind of going through some LinkedIn coaching about um, expanding customer bases at the moment. Do you fear that there's, or should people fear of like crossing a line? So I, I personally have like a, a fear or a stigma of like selling to my friends. So if you're nurturing customers so well, does it ever become uncomfortable because to sell to them because there's almost like this, um, maybe like barrier of if you know someone so well, your services should be kind of free or you should give them, you know, a discount because you know them so well, or certainly that's how it comes in my mind. Um, look, I mean, that is a, a limiting belief in itself. Uh, you, the value of what it is that you ultimately give is directly related to how people perceive the value to be. The price is just an exchange of energy and you know, I believe when people pay money and they pay good money, they, they value it more. But I also believe sometimes every person has a different income bracket. So, you know, for let's say a millionaire, £5,000 isn't expensive. Mm -hmm. But for an entrepreneur that just started up their own uh, business that are uh, maybe making in a year fifty to $60,000, um, $5,000 is expensive when you're looking at it that way. On the other hand, you can also look at it a different way. When you have a coach like myself, for instance, that helps you find your purpose and know how to have a more productive mindset, how to better communicate with your subconscious mind in order to reach your own goals and find sales not so scary anymore and you become a better leader. And as a result, you end up making one, two, 300% more sales as a result of that. Then $5,000, even to someone that earns 50 or $60,000 a year, is not that expensive because you know it's an investment. It's not something you throw out the window. It's something that actually the knowledge and experience that you will gain from having me as, as your coach and coaching you on, on, a, on a manner that is personalized to you so that you can apply it into your business is ultimately a wise investment. And, and therefore you can also recuperate that and you can deduct it from your taxes and so on and so forth. So therefore it might not be as expensive because you're looking at from a different point of view instead of looking at from point of view, oh, it's an expense and I need to get that money. Um, you can also say it's an investment and I'll make more money by selling more and the coach will help me with that. And so therefore it's a different perspective. Now, when it comes to friends, I believe absolutely give your friends a, a special friend discount. Why not? <laughs> Especially if they, if they are appreciating it and, but I would never do it for free. And here is why, because when it's been given for free, there's no value attached to it. They don't need to work for it. They, they can turn up late. They cannot do the homework. They can just ignore the rules and regulations that come with it. 
they cannot participate, there's no consequence to it. Whereas if they pay you instead of 5,000, 3,000, it's still, you know, a bit of like, all right, if I do not make the most out of it, I just literally invested in something and I didn't get anything from it. And so you need to have that leverage. Otherwise, um, you end up selling to people that do it um, not for themselves, but to do you a favor. Mm. And you don't need pity or petty or whatnot. Uh, you don't need petty sales or, you know, petty clients that will turn around and go, well, I just did it to support you. Well, hang on. You had a problem. You wanted fixing. I helped you fix it. You benefited from that. It wasn't because you did me a favor. In fact, I did you a favor because normally I charge this much for it. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think you, you mentioned earlier limiting beliefs, and I definitely have a lot of those, um, certainly in terms of, you know, kind of having these conversations. And and I you've talked a lot about self-value as well. And that is kind of something I struggle with in terms of actually basing it on internal factors and kind of I've always based that on external things of how people think of me, you know, my job title, what I earn and those kind of things you mentioned earlier, superficial is a really good word. Those kind of superficial things that society values. So thank you for that insight. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, I think it's, um, it's nice to have people go, I really like your book or I think it's great what you have achieved and so on and so forth. But in the end of the day, you know, it's you need to be confident in who you are and you need to, the first person you need to love is yourself, regardless of what other people think of you. And we all have weaknesses. We all have things that we can continually to evolve and improve on. And at the same time, though, I always say, look, when you try to please people around you all the time and you try to make it right and everybody wanting to love you and, and people approving of you and things like that, ultimately, it doesn't really matter because those people are in your life for a period of time and then they go somewhere else. Maybe they stick around for a long time, maybe for a short time, you don't know. Sometimes it's just passing people for a brief moment to learn something from them and have an experience. And sometimes we have people all our lives um, around us to learn a lot of, uh, from them, but also learn a lot about ourselves with them. And so therefore, when it comes to sales, I, sell, I say selling is like, ultimately you need to have wanting to serve the customer in mind. You need to want have the customer in mind and then selling is only the outcome of a mindset kind of thing, of a behavior. So what is a sale ultimately is the outcome of a great conversation where the person can say to you, look, I believe what you have is of value. I can make use of it. I'll be happy to spend my money with you because I believe that you can help me. And the offer is okay with the way it is. Or if it's not, I can do it on a payment plan if I need. But either way, the value outweighs the investment because I know I can benefit from that. So no matter if it is, let's say, you working with me or somebody coming to you and doing LinkedIn coaching or, 
you know what I mean? Like it ultimately needs to, the price is ultimately just a reflection of that you appreciate it. So when somebody says, this is what I'm charging, you go, okay, I'm okay with that because you understand and appreciate the value, you give it more energy with the money. And what happens when you give it more energy with the money, there's three things. One is you appreciate it more for your mindset. Secondly, you tell the person that you give the money to, I want you to have a good life. You know, use this for, to enjoy your life for whatever, not just for the bills, but for everything you want to manifest. And thirdly, you tell the universe that you believe that it's worth investing in yourself. And guess what? The universe will tenfold bring it back to you. Because what people, if you think about it, everything that you invest in for your own self-development, you can apply in your life. And so when you apply yourself better in your life, what will happen? You will have better outcomes. You save money, you make more money, you have better relationships, you have more energy. So again, it comes all tenfold back to you. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Thank you again for sharing. And um, I sort of reading through your content and one of the, the chapters of the books that you've written, um, you talk about coming from a place of authenticity in these conversations as mm -hmm. well. What is kind of the, the best strategy for someone to be authentic rather than appearing like the, the motive is to sell them something? I'll get, get in contact with me and let's do, let's do coaching together. Um, <laughs> uh, because the, the problem is, it's not a problem, but it's something that you need to work on ultimately. You know, it's not something like, yeah, I wish I had a pill and then I can give it to you and it takes you like uh, one minute and you're fine. Um, <laughs> that's not that simple. Be becoming or being authentic self is literally unconditional love um, within you. Now, that is a tough pill to, to swallow. Uh, I mean, I don't believe we can be perfect like that and unconditionally love ourselves just from one day to another. It's work. It requires that you work on yourself. It requires that you have coaches, mentors, people that love you and support you to keep on working on yourself. Even I have still my, I got my own coach and I see him every two weeks. And I started with him over three years ago. And I've been in the self-development industry over 25 years ago. So, and the most successful people, including Anthony Robbins, they still have their own coaches and mentors, mm -hmm. even though they are so evolved, you know? So in order to be authentic, the first thing you need to do is love yourself as you are. 100% no, no wins, no buts, and all of it. And that is difficult. And the second thing is you need to practice how to ultimately be real. And what I mean by that, you need to learn how to communicate um, your boundaries and your expectations and have empathy and be able to adapt your entire behavior when you are speaking in person or over the phone. Because it's one thing to logically know, okay, I need to now be authentic. But if you have for years, every time you are getting into sales, you have a certain persona, then that's difficult to, you know, to get rid of. Mm. So what you need to do is you, it, because it's linked to 
limiting beliefs, it's linked to your own habits, and it's linked to your own beliefs around what it is that you believe should happen and not happen and how you want to come across. So one limiting belief that people will say is, I don't want to come across like a hard so like a car sales person or you know mm-hmm. things like that. But then they're they're getting into the sale, and ex- that's exactly how they come across. And so the question is, why is that? Well, because that's the only thing they know. Mm-hmm. They only know the pitch of a car sales person. So what do they do? They model exactly that on a subconscious level. They just do it because that's what they experience the most. Mm-hmm. And if you have somebody saying, I don't want to be a pushy salesperson, what will they do? They will push people. Hmm. Or the other way will be that they will, I had another person where they go, I hate selling. So whenever it comes to doing the sales part, they try to avoid it at all costs. So obviously they're not closing the sale because they only make sales when people will say, will literally the prospect or the lead will actually talk to them and go, so how do I start? What's the cost? And most people won't do that. Mm. So you need to tell people that upfront in a way. Mm. And so that's the reason why it's so important to work on yourself. That's why I said in the beginning, um, if that is your problem, come and let's start, start working together. I can definitely help you. Um, but it's not going to be a one-time thing. It's going to be an ongoing sort of like progress. I'll say most of my clients within the first three months have some some sort of results, I'd say, when they apply themselves. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it's always between 100 to 300% sales increase, especially for those that are like small business owners. And mm-hmm. let's say they're making one new customer a month, as an example, by the time... I end up coaching them and they start applying themselves differently because of the mind shift that they have and the new things that they learn and start applying. They end up within a few weeks ending up making three, four sales in a month, as an example. So I mean, I one client in when I first started in Australia, uh, Deborah Jackson, she's a marketing consultant. And um, her biggest thing was she could not close well. She had great relationships with them. She built rapport with them. She answered her, their questions, but she didn't make the sale. So normally in one month, she would have one new client, but it took her about two months to get that one new client and several attempts. And so her strategy was very inefficient. So I ended up coaching her and I went through her communication flow and tweaked a few things, gave her feedback on how she needs to go about it. And then I said to her, now go back to those prospects that you that you you know previously spoken to and do this for one week and see how you go. And that was after we did like a role play and everything. And so the following week I um I had a coaching call with her and I said, so how did you go? And she said, look, I normally have one new client, but now I applied it and within one week I got five new clients and my hourly rate went from 250 an hour to 750 an hour. So she literally increased by 2000% if you want to put it this way. Mm. And she increased her hourly rate on top of it. Amazing. Well, the statistics don't lie in in that aspect. A couple of sort of things to, to pick up on there. You talked about the 
the car salesman. And I think, um, yeah, it, it has a stigma, doesn't it? People kind of go into their their shell when they hear sales. And I think that's usually based on having a bad experience. Ever since sort of my attention's been brought more to, you know, trying to sell, if we're going to say it that way, but, you know, network and make these connections that could be potential customers. I kind of just see how many people are really bad at it through the connections that come through LinkedIn with their instant spam of, you know, if you're interested in this, then here's the link and here's how to pay for it. And it's all sort of almost like they're vomiting this this information on you. And I think I, I can relate to them because I think they find it uncomfortable. So they're trying to make it quick and, and rip off the Band-Aid as quickly as they possible to limit their discomfort. Um, and I think it's it's really interesting because I mean, deep down, we're all salespeople, really. If, I, if you look at a, a job interview, you have to sell yourself mm. um, and make that company invest their money Absolutely. and their time in you. So it's kind of very strangely ironic in a in a weird way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, look, social media is a very ungrateful media. I, I'll, mm. I'll tell you this much. I, I find the, the entire marketing, I'm still not used to it. I still don't like it because to me, I like a conversation like you and I are having right now. Mm. I like talking to people, all this posting and sending texts. And the thing is, you can never replace an actual conversation with a text. It's not possible. There's too many factors that don't, uh, uh, that, that they don't go in your favor because one, a text cannot be too long. Two certain words will be understood differently by different people because their perception is different. Three, if you go into strong, people can be scared about it and just uh, block you. If you don't go enough in too strong, then it's a nice conversation and you get thank you, no thank you, and those kind of replies, which is uh, just like, again, very superficial. And three, even if you do your best and you know create a voicemail in again it's only information that you are actually giving it's not a conversation this is the problem in um what we have with texting with sms with emails it's a one-way street of of information given mm. then the other person perceives the information we have no clue how they are reacting to it, what their thought process is, where they're at. So now we are literally gave them information, whatever the information is, and we sit, we let it sit with them. And then after one, two, three days or whenever they feel like it, they get back to us. Mm. And that is why I find marketing also difficult because um, information can only take you that far. Whereas when you have a conversation like you and I are having right now, I can gather where you're at and I can react to it immediately. And you do not get that with marketing. And that is what I don't like about marketing. Mm. That you don't get that. And that's the thing that I feel like um, it's such a delicate thing to find the right kind of balance. How do you get get to a point where you say marketing is great. It supports my communication, even though it's an information exchange, it's not a communication exchange, but it supports the communication along the lines to help you make more sales, which is the reason why, I mean, I, I always go, well, if you want to find out if what I'm providing is a value to you, then let's talk. Mm. And if it is, let's get things started. 
But guess what? That only happens when we have a conversation. People go, well, can you give me some tips? Yeah, I can give you a chapter of my book. There is some more information. You can uh, watch some of the videos that are online. There is information. But the information will not make you change. The information will make you maybe rethink certain things, maybe consider certain things. Now we, we got you that far. So now you consider certain things. Guess what? You will be distracted within a minute and doing something else. And then you keep on going on with your life, with your habits, the way they were. One year later, you had the best intention of changing and nothing changed. You're still the same. And you're in the same situation and go, why has nothing changed? Whereas when you coach someone and you have their accountability along the way, you can lift them up. You can build them up. You can let them know, hey, right now you're falling back into the negative habit that you used to have and you came all this way. Now you can change that. So guess what? Now they're changing because they are accountable and they are consistently every week or a fortnight. They see you, they talk to you. They email you, they text you, then you get back to them and you have a conversation. You actually talk with them and not just giving them video, but you actually have a conversation with them. And out of it, they have a breakthrough, they have a realization, then they practice it, maybe even with you as a coach. And all of a sudden, they end up transforming, not because of one time, but because of over time, their change of beliefs, their change of mindset, their improvement of communication and leadership, and their way they apply themselves. And as a result, of course, things improve in life. Mm. That's a really profound distinction, what you just addressed there in terms of the difference between an information exchange and a communication exchange. And it's really, uh, it's kind of difficult in society at the moment because I think that applies to so many different areas with technology, we're technically more connected than ever, but as a society, more disconnected than ever because it, it's not real communication. It's just kind of replica communication mm. and we're not actually getting that that value of it. So um, yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing that insight. Yeah, you're welcome. The um, earlier you talked about that we're, we're not all perfect and thank you for, for giving me a nice inlay here into that because of course this, this show is all about um, sort of breaking that perfection down. Kind of what is your definition and experience with perfection? Is it kind of a hindrance or is it a help? Oh, it's an illusion. It's an illusion. I met people that seem perfect from the outside and then they're all messed up on the inside and you think, what a freaking joke. <laughs> Look, I'll tell you one thing, that, and this is not judgment, it's just not some observation. I met some people, like let's say people that you will go, they got the perfect body, and you think, wow. And then it unfolds that they're not that loyal, that they're not that honest with themselves, that they, you know, try to cheat themselves of getting what they want, and so on. And so then you meet other people that do not have a perfect physique. They're not a bodybuilder. They're not they're the average guy or a girl. Or they might even be a bit overweight. They know it. They know that they're not perfect. Yet their own behavior is more perfect than the perfect person on a physical level. And we are only as far as perfect as we perceive it to be. Because the reality is none of us, not one person is perfect because perfect would mean 
that even the highest and most intelligent people that create the computer programs would have no flaws and that every program that they design, every software that's been developed is immediately perfect. But it's not. Most, most programs that have been designed by IT guys have many bugs, they have many errors, and that it's keep on trial and testing and seeing what works and what needs to change before it ultimately is acceptable. And from acceptable, we're looking at the basics, the normal kind of thing. So the same is with human beings. Acceptable is you making money, you having a life, you paying your bills and taxes and stuff like that, looking after your health. Now we're talking about perfect. That would mean you always get um, the right amount of sleep. You have always the right amount of nutrition. You never have one, one inch of body fat on your body. You got a six pack all the time and you find it easy to train and look after your health and work 60 hours a week and, you know, doing everything and also have a family and kids and have all that stuff at a, in a place where nothing goes wrong. Now, do you know of one person that has all that? I'm getting palpitations. You talking about that it sounds really stressful. Managing <laughs> all of that. No, exactly. So no one really has a perfection. It's an illusion that we are trying to achieve, but it's, it still is an illusion. That's why ultimately all you can do is the best version of you that you want to be and attain to be and get there by working on yourself and by, you know, doing the right thing by other people you're working with and by um, just keep on evolving. And because perfection is also, um, you know, a thing of um, a temporary thing, if you think about it, there might be a moment where you are in the Zen zone, where you are so drilled in on doing something that in that Second, it's perfection, but then it's already a thing of the past. And because to attain perfection permanently is not possible. And, uh, you know, I'll give you as an example, Oprah Winfrey. I mean, she has, she's a perfect role model for so many people, but even she is not perfect, you know, and, and that's just an example of, she has achieved so many things, but I'm sure there are also things where she goes, I want to improve myself on it. Mm-hmm. And that's also the reason why she keeps on working because she wants to inspire people with her work and making a difference through it, knowing that those things that she talks about it are not perfect, including herself. And that also is actually the exciting part of because if you were to be perfect, imagine how boring life would be. Oh, God, You'd yeah. be like a robot. You wouldn't be a human being. Yeah, I um, it's really interesting. Thank you so much for for giving that feedback. Um, I'm still very much on the fence after you know, obviously talking about it for all these episodes. I haven't made up my mind, but um, I think that uh, as in haven't made up my mind of whether it's a positive thing or a negative. But one sort of definition that I've taken forward from Beth Kempton's book is that actual physical things and people can't be perfect, but there can be perfect moments. And I think that kind of is attuned to what you're saying of things can line up and be perfect, but they're, you know, evolving and changing from that point. And I think that's a really nice way of looking at things that everything is ephemeral and and nothing is permanent. 
I think, you know, you can put it this way. Um, the word perfect is ultimately in the moment, mm. not permanent. And every word that you're looking at and everything that you do, it ultimately depends on the meaning you give it. If you give it the meaning, it's negative because I need to be always perfect. Then that is your stressful reality. If you give it the meaning that I can be perfect and I inspire to be perfect. And if I'm not, I'm okay with that too. Then you have a much easier life because you can say, you know what? I, I try to be perfect or I I'm doing my very best. And as long as I'm doing my very best. I'm blessed when I am perfect in a moment, then I'm fine with that. I don't need to be perfect all the time. That's okay too. You know, as long as I do my best, that's all that matters. And I would look at, um, look at that word this way, you know, have the, the belief and, and the philosophy, do your best that you can. And, you know, be grateful when you have moment of perfection in your life occurring as a result of it. Mm, definitely sound advice thank you for that and then um just to sort of finish us off obviously we talk about perfection and we talk about purpose um so since you've sort of had your turning point of that episode of, of bell's palsy do you feel now you're on track to be sort of the the purpose that you wanted to fulfill in life oh yeah absolutely i mean i had bell's palsy once more and and when i had it the second time around i was back in london when i one day prior uh, presenting as a keynote speaker and um, thankfully, I was able to handle it much better than the first time. And I learned from it. And, you know, as a result of it, I mean, when most people, most speakers will go, I'm not going to present if I have something like this, because I had it at 9 p.m. the night before um, and uh, was supposed to be on stage at 10 a.m. in the morning. So the following morning, um, I ended up still actually presenting. And so many things went wrong on that day. Um, but I ended up, you know, saying, standing in front of the people and saying, look, I just had a Bell's palsy episode. That means part of my face is paralyzed, which means that my speech is not as clear as it normally would be. So if you can uh, not understand me, let me know and I will slow down what I'm saying. And because it wasn't a big group of people like uh, I was promised to be, I ended up changing my entire presentation. You know, we had... I made a presentation, PowerPoint and all that sort of stuff with the sales pitch uh, for about 40 people. But I ended up speaking in front of five people. Now, um, as a result of me changing, adapting and being a able to use my skills in my, with my mindset, with my communication skills and my leadership skills, I still was able to actually present value by doing a group coaching session with those people there and I ended up you know delivering great value because I adapted my content delivery in the way that I did it and as a result I ended up getting a new client and so I am living proof that when you are living with purpose and doing what it is that you're supposed to do in your life with purpose that regardless of the circumstances you can adapt and enjoy yourself and be successful amazing and um yeah just reaffirming your agility and your your perseverance and i think adaptability is is something crucial to to success so again thank you 
so much for for sharing. Well, um, Dario, I think that's all about we've got time for, but thank you so much for joining me again. It's been such a pleasure to have you on today. Oh, it was very much a pleasure to be on on the show. And uh, I cannot wait. I mean, for the listeners, feel free to reach out to me. Let me know um, what, you know, gold nuggets helped you in your life or business. And uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again in the very near future. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening, fellow imperfectionist. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope it has inspired you to get closer to your true purpose in life. If you have a question, thoughts on this episode or suggestions of topics or even future guests, I would love to hear from you. Visit pickingupperfection.com slash participate. You can also follow me on my socials, Instagram, LinkedIn, and even contact me via email. Links for all of this are in the show notes. See you next time.